Welcome to Team Perry's Step Out of Line podcast, featuring co-hosts Perry and Lori Finkelstein. Together, they explore, meet, and share inspirational stories with guests who have made a positive impact in today's world. This podcast resonates with our hope to make this world a better place one step at a time through love, acceptance, and uplifting conversations. Steiner, who is from the Steiner Agency, and he has been actually a big influence in our fundraising for what we do for High Lifeline because we follow his basic principles of business uh, with his blog that we get. He's a motivational speaker, he's a writer, he's written three books, and he is just, a, to me, he's all, when I think of sports, I think of Brandon Steiner, so if you could tell us a little bit about what you're doing now. Well, first of all, thank you. It's been a pleasure uh, getting to know you over the years and supporting uh, your fundraising efforts. So hopefully I can keep doing that. Um, I don't know what I'm doing now. I'm completely in an entrepreneurial mindset of starting two brand new companies at the age of 60. Feel fantastic. I've re-nicknamed myself. Um, I know you know me as Brandon Steiner, but I'm Benjamin Buttons. I'm reversing the, uh, I'm reversing time. I'm getting younger every day. I'm back on the street again and um, just really trying to build two really good companies that serve people and get them closer to the game. And we're taking everything I know and every, all the knowledge I have, what I've done for over 30 years building my own company, which I used to be with Steiner. Now I'm with the Steiner Agency and Collectible Exchange. I'm trying to put it to better use. I'm trying to do, even, you know, with the customers and the following and fans that I've been able to work with, trying to deliver a better, cooler product. Collectible Exchange is a company that's a little bit different than eBay. It offers a lot more services and, and security and enables fans to go on and sell stuff, auction stuff themselves, uh, and then people can buy and sell. And the Steiner Agency uses athletes as the primary source to help you grow your business and market your business. So uh, excited. You know, I'm, I'm about six to eight months on both of those companies. And uh, I was thinking about it last night. I, was, uh, I forgot to tell somebody to ship something. I, I had to drive this package over to somebody in New York City, which is about an hour away. And my wife was like, where are you going? I'm like, I've got to go deliver this. It's a guy's birthday. Oh. It reminded me back of my old days when I was first starting out, where I used to have to go to the UPS. I used to have to pack the boxes. And I'm, I'm back to that again. It's fun. It's fun when you get things. It's hard, though, when you get things started, but it's fun. So what drove you? You were, apparently, you were born in Brooklyn. And you didn't have a lot of money from what I read. And you had a dream and you had the drive to do something. Uh, what, what gave you the impetus to say, I'm going to do this and I'm going to make it? Is that a way that you stepped out of line uh, as, as a younger person when you made a decision what you were going to do and how you were going to get about getting it done? Well, I think it started with, two, there was two major acts of getting out of line, I think, for me as a kid that played huge dividends later on in my life. One started when I was 10. I was brought up to the front of the classroom. Uh, my fifth grade teacher was Mel Kerper. Mel Kerper was a, a great teacher. He lived only a block away from me. And he gave me an envelope of money. And he said, this is for some clothes. We took a collection. So I went home and I was like, mom, they took a collection for me to buy some clothes. And uh, when I asked Mr. Kerper how he knew I needed clothes, he said, you've been wearing the same pants for three weeks in a row. I said, how do you know that? He goes, well, you had a rip in the right knee. Do me a favor, take this money, go with your mom, buy some clothes, no worry. 
So I went home and asked my mother about it. She said, well, you're in between sizes. Don't worry about it. We, we were going to buy you clothes. But about three hours later, I was thinking about as a 10-year-old, you only know what you know. You don't know if you're poor, if you're this, you're that. You don't know. You only know what you know. And I started realizing that for the first time that not only was I poor, but I was really poor. And I probably didn't have a lot of things the other kids in the neighborhood had. And I went into my mother's room and I said, look, on Saturday, I'm going to go get a job. And I'm going to find a job. And 10 years old, I mean, I have kids. I've had kids like 10 years old. They go down, eat breakfast, get dressed. That's like a home run. Right. So on Saturday morning, I got up first thing and I went. Kings Highway in Brooklyn is this long strip of retail stores, several miles long. I went up and down Kings Highway and finally I found a job. Uh, Freddie the Fruit Man hired me to stock his fruit and vegetables and deliver fruit and vegetables to people in the neighborhood. And it's a pivotal story because I think everybody has a moment of time when you have to step out of line, but also take accountability, not use what's happened to you in your past to, to help you develop your future. You need to develop your future based on what you want to do and how you want it to go. And so many people use setbacks that's happened in their past to dictate their future. And I drew a line, I think 10 is a little bit early to have a kid have to do that, but I drew the line at that point that I wasn't going to be needing clothes and I wasn't going to have to be hungry again. I was just going to go figure it out and I was going to go find a job and I've been working about 50 years now since. I think very similar to Perry in some ways because she also decided at the age of 10 or 11 that she wanted to give back to High Lifeline, the organization that's helped her since she was born. And why would you be 10 or 11 years old with muscular dystrophy saying, I'm gonna help other kids and I'm gonna change the world. So I think when you have little to work with and you are not used to having things given to you, you have to go get it yourself. And I think that was the mindset I think Perry had as well as you had that you were strong. And I think that makes you resilient in anything that you try to do in your life. So I see that a lot. You know, when your back's against the wall, and you have a mental mindset, but you're not willing to accept where you're at, it's a very interesting, exciting place. And everything else seems really boring. And when you're comfortable and everything's going well, kind of boring. When your back's against the wall and everybody's questioning you and everybody's questioning whether you got what it takes to do whatever you want to do, which is always what happened with me anyway. I don't know how that is for you, Perry, but oh, well, you have muscle dystrophy. Are you sure you want to be doing that? Oh, you think you have enough energy to do that? Where, where, where? Oh, I mean, I keep a list of all those people, all the people that question me, don't think that all the people that said I was an idiot, stupid and everything else. And I think when your back's against the wall, that's the most exciting thing. And the disadvantage really becomes, you know, that adversity becomes your advantage. And you have to take advantage of your advantages, even if it comes off a negative. Because most of the great things in life really, a lot of times start with something negative. As bad as it may seem to, to you or to other people, like a lot of the worst thing that's ever happened to me started with something really bad. You know, when I was in uh, seventh, sixth grade, I thought I got into this, uh, it was these essay, it was these special programs where you got to skip a grade. Mm -hmm. So I thought that here I get this notice, which meant I was one of the smart kids. And it, I can't believe it. I get a call a week later. My mom says that they made a mistake on my test. Who does this? <laughs> and I'm like, I remember stuff like that. I'm like, I want to show those people that they made a mistake. It's like, just because you mastered the art of school, it doesn't mean you mastered the art of life. And they make so much emphasis on your grades. But that's only part of the game. And I think it's good to master your grades. But, it, you know, there's a lot more to being a good person and growing up. And there's so much emphasis on the grades, but not enough emphasis on teaching 
kids right and wrong, how to be independent thinkers, how to know there's, you know, there's consequences for your decisions. Like those are important things too. You know, I've seen a lot of A students that are brilliant that make some stupid decisions that cut their careers awfully short. So the other time, I, I'll give you one other story also that I stepped out of line was when I um, decided I was going to go to college, I was dating a girl who's now my wife, by the way. And she was you know, really smart. She was going to go to one of these Ivy League schools. And so I went home. I said to my mom, I'm like, you know, Mara's going to college. Like maybe I, I wasn't even sure I was going to go to college. She says, well, go see the guidance counselor. So I went to go see the guidance counselor. She told me that she didn't think I should go to college. She didn't think I was smart enough. And then I should go to uh, maybe like one of those, like, you know, become a plumber or an electrician. Not if there's anything wrong with that. But when I went home, I told my mother that she went crazy. So when I stepped out of line, with it, there's a two parts to this. One, nobody in my neighborhood went away to college. No one. Everybody in Brooklyn stayed in Brooklyn and went to the local colleges, if they even went to college at all. So... My mom said to look up the college that was the most expensive school in New York State that had an accounting degree. She was, I want you to get an accounting degree. I said, Mom, how can we afford it? I got 760 on my SATs, which is almost a zero on the math. I have no money, and I went to an experimental pass for high school, so I have no grades. She says, well, you're going to have to go up to school and make a sale. So I went up, and we left at 8.30 at night. We got to Utica at about 5 in the morning. We slept in the car. We went to Utica, Syracuse, and Ithaca. And when I got to Syracuse, I told the lady that I know I can't afford this school. I know I don't have the grades. I know I don't have the money. I know I don't have the SAT scores. But if you figure out a way to help me get in this school. So I was the treasurer. I've been working since I'm 10. And I rolled out all my advantages that made me, I thought, worthy to go into that school. And the lady said, I'm going to do something to try to help you get into school. You're a very unusual young man. And that was a big turning point for me to be able to go to a really high level, high expensive quality school, not to mention the three meals a day, which I had never gotten. What was crazy about the stepping out of line is when I went home and told my friends that I went into, kind of into Syracuse, they all looked at me like I was crazy. Like you're leaving Brooklyn? Are you crazy? All those pumpkins up in Syracuse, those hakes up there, you're gonna be bored, what are you gonna do? And I remember telling one of my friends that not only am I going up to Syracuse, I ain't coming back. And I love Brooklyn, so don't get me wrong, but, you know, it was a big step to go all the way upstate and go away for the first time, you know, and especially with no money. So I not only had to go to college, which I did get a lot of financial aid that Syracuse helped me with, which I'm very grateful to this day, but I had to work full time. I went work full time when I went to college for the stupid idiot that I was. And what I love is I go back and I see all the people that called me an idiot. You know, I talk about writing three books and all the things that I've done, I keep those people in my mind, all those naysayers that told me to stay in line instead of getting out of line. And it keeps me, it reminds me to, to not stay in line and not listen to everybody. I just listen to the people that love me and care about me the most. I think when you say be fearless, um, I'm looking at you right now and that's all I see is, is somebody who's totally fearless and really you can do anything. Um, I know that when you had, um, lost hold of your company and Perry reached out to you and she's like, don't worry, Mr. Steiner, everything will be okay. And you were like, from what she got from you was like, I got this. Don't worry. We're going to get this done. And I think so many lessons that you can teach all of us in resiliency, being fearless, being tough as nails, but also having such a big heart because as I mentioned before, you've helped out the children of high lifeline in so many ways over the years. And, and Perry, make a difference in the children, children's lives also. And that- Well, thank you. 
is is your heart is probably the best thing that we love about you and, and what people can learn is is no matter how strong and tough you are you're still a teddy bear and you still have such a big heart that you're willing to share with others so that's well, a thank you. For us. so thank you so much i like to think i'm the same person i like to think i mean you know certain things change but I like to, you know, my friends, I still have my friends from growing up in Brooklyn. We still hang out. And, you know, we talked for like five hours about I don't know what, but the same stuff we talked about when we were like 12 years old. But I think I'm the same person. Like, I didn't really get, I didn't feel like I needed to have some success financially or business-wise that, that needed me to change as a person. You know, I still love, I think helping people is, I think most people think helping people is a burden, but it's actually an opportunity that will lead you to sheer joy. And I think that's something I get a lot of, uh, of joy out of, is helping people. And I get that from my mom. My mom's favorite line was, you gotta have balls. Be fearless, don't be afraid. There's nothing that you really can't do if you set your mind to it. And that's a difficult message to ignore when somebody's telling you that at five or six years old. Right. You know, my, and my mother was a fearless woman who in a time when women didn't really have businesses, she owned businesses and she didn't take any crap from anybody. So, you know, I saw my mom operate when I would come home and, getting my, my butt beat in a little bit, she would kind of reset me and explain to me how that needs to you know, be, be reversed. So uh, she always showed me a way. And I think that's the key is, I don't th think anybody has the answers by any stretch, but you have to be a person who wants to figure stuff out. And either you can figure it out or you know who to go to to figure it out. And have that kind of relentlessness that know what you know, but also know that you can go to people that can help you figure stuff out. That's a strength. A lot of people think it's a weakness. So for me, it's been a joy to carry out a lot of the, the, the lessons I've learned from my mom. When I do see her one day up in heaven, I know I'm gonna owe her a ton of money. She's probably gonna have her hand out saying, you owe me, you know, you, you know all that money you made was, a lot of that was because of me, but she's right. <laughs> she's definitely right, no question. But you know, for me, um, listen, life is a series of transitions too, man. And not all of them are good transitions. Some of them are tough. You know, life throws you, you know, life throws you some curveballs, man. And it, it could be kind of messy. It could be hard, you know. So even the curveball last year was hard. You know, I was optimistic about it, but it was hard on me. And right. I think um, you got to work through those transitions to they become an advantage. But it was hard to lose my name. You know, to build something over 30 years, that was my life work. And have somebody just steal it, it was very hard. But on the other hand, I was looking at now, and I worked my way into the benefits, especially now, like where I'm, I got these new companies, and I don't have the big headaches of, in a virus and a recession like we're going through. Imagine what the headaches I'd have right now. I'd be out of my mind. The rest of my hair will be gone. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I have gratitude for also all the things I've had. And I appreciate that letter you sent me. I, I really do. It meant a lot. And it was the stuff that really kept me going. And what I tell my friends is like, I don't know, man. I got removed out of this company and I did make a lot of money and everything else. But I've never seen anything like I've got hundreds of letters from fans and customers and people thanking me. I never wrote a letter to a CEO thanking them that maybe that got removed or a company that went out of business thanking them. I'm like, you, I mean, people, they spent a ton of money with me. I'm like, I should be thanking them. Really uh, humbling, like to get letters from people, you know, just because some of the stuff that I created, giving people opportunity to meet players that they never could have met. I always wanted to meet a player as a kid. So every opportunity I have to find people that could meet a player or give them stuff that would make a dream or make the make a difference in them. I always try to do that. And I just felt like that was a that was a really high motivation. Those letters that you probably didn't think that much of it were extremely important to me. And uh, I kept many of them uh, because 
you know, it just knows, at least she knows some of your work is meaningful. And that was very important to me. Our favorite baseball player, always David Wright. And we've actually met him. Perry has his bat, his jersey. Yeah, I love David Wright. Even I love David Wright. We interviewed Daryl Strawberry, who was unbelievably awesome. And then Nelson Figueroa is, is actually a Team Perry runner on our team. Who is your favorite baseball player of all time? That's a great question. I mean, first of all, I just want to tell you that Daryl Strawberry was a pivotal player for me because when I first got started in the 80s, he was a guy that did so much for me. He was at my bachelor party, and he was one of the first clients that I that I marketed before I really started Steiner. I was just getting started. Um, you know, him and Keith Hernandez and Ron Darling, those guys were, I was like, a Met, people don't realize how much of a Met company I was at the beginning. Those guys were unbelievable. Yeah, still are. But, you know, I always, as a kid growing up, I, I loved and I, I have a good relationship, and, and I always loved Bobby Mercer and Roy White as, a, as kids growing up, and I was a huge Phil Rizzuto fan who I got to represent. Uh, in the 90s, which was amazing, like, wow. And Roy White and Bobby Mercer, I got to know, uh, you know, those the Yankees were, you know, they weren't good in the 70s. That's the only way to say it, you know, particularly the late 60s and 70s. And Roy White and Bobby were the bright spots that you loved as a kid. Um, I love it. When you ask the question, if I had to pick one Yankee, um, you know, I love Mariano Rivera. I love Mariano. Not, I mean, obviously he was a great pitcher, but and I've met a lot of players, but he's probably the one that's taught me a lot of non-sports stuff that I'd never really realized about faith, about the importance of friendship and family and religion. Um, he's, you know, I spent a lot of time with him over the years. And he doesn't hesitate. Like, Brandon, what you did is wrong. That's not the right way to be thinking about this. Or, you know, he's pointed out, we've had a lot of arguments. We've had to stop the car many times. <laughs> to get out of the car. The drivers actually stopped the car and pulled over and said, you guys got to get out and work this out. Like, oh we've gone into some pretty deep arguments about stuff. Because, you know, at the end, we're all human. Right. And you know, we're all basing and we're all kind of re, you know, refurbishing all the stuff we've learned. And at the end, it's whether, you know, can can find that information out from people you trust that can hopefully be looking out for you. So we would, we would get into it. <laughs> we got into it many times. Like, we have gotten into it. I mean, you know, so he's probably my favorite player just because of the lessons I've learned and then the success he's had and, and, and just the fun I've had with it. You know, like, it's like, I never read any media. I don't care what the press says. I'm doing my best. Like, every time he would give up a home run or a blow a save, I'd call him up at 7 the next morning. What's up? How you doing? How's it? Oh, nice. Oh, did something happen last night? Oh, I'm not sure the ball landed yet. Did the ball land that you gave up? Like, did you want to end the game? Were you that hungry that you needed to get something to eat? Oh, you laid it right in there. I mean, I, you know, stuff like that. So I had a lot of fun with him. And, you know, Straw was a, was a very generous person. I'm so happy that he's found God and has found his way. Yeah. Uh, with, because he's such a generous, good person. And what I love about the Straw story is that he is a, it just shows you that you can be, that really, really good people can lose their way. Daryl was a very generous, good person that lost his way. Sometimes you think people that have drug problems or this and that are bad people. And it's not true. Like, there's a lot of really, really good people that sometimes have dramatically bad problems. And people have to remember that. Like, and you know, a lot of times people are valued. People value people by their net value, not by their self-value. You know, you've got to look at people and realize like, there are a lot of valuable people out there, regardless of the money or whatever the standing they have in life. Like, and I think people get caught up in that. For me, I've never got caught up in it. I, I, I love them. I, I, I like playing the game of business. I like the money I've made.
but I don't get caught up in it. I don't really, I mean, it's nice to have it. I, I'm, I'm glad I worked hard and I earned it, so I don't feel bad about it, but it's not that big a deal to me. But I can see how it could be a big deal. I mean, I live in a neighborhood where people just thrive off that. You know, getting one nicer car, getting a bigger house, whatever. But I think that, you know, self, you know, the, the value proposition is so important. And that's what I loved about Daryl is no matter how big a star he was, and Daryl's story was every bit of what Jeter is. And, and, and you saw Jeter in it. Daryl in the 80s was every bit of what Jeter was in the 90s, 2000s. Except that, you know, Daryl was so humble and so, and, you know, we could say a lot about Lawrence Taylor too, but same thing, you know, great person, very generous, great teammate that had a gigantic problem. It was so nice when we spoke to him. Very yeah. generous in his, you know, in his love and his heart and just- He's amazing. We amazing. were so appreciative of meeting, meeting him, you know, on Zoom and, um, you know, we have plans to meet him when baseball comes back. Yeah, I love guys like Daryl who really the comeback is much better than a setback. And, and he realized that the money and all that was just a phase, but he's doing so many good things in his life that are far better than what he ever did as a baseball player. We so appreciate um, that you're in Perry's Corner. Hey, you guys are you guys are a dangerous duo over there. Yeah, we are the dynamic duo.